Hi, and welcome to From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. This week's episode is special in a very deep way. I am joined by my dear friend, Amelia Barnes, who shares a story that I know will connect to the heart of every person who listens to it. To honor Amelia and the sensitivity of this story, we will not be pausing for commercials in this week's episode. You may want to keep a box of tissues nearby. I would love to thank our sponsors who are supporting this uninterrupted interview today. TransferWise, ZipRecruiter, NatureBox, and Parachute. TransferWise helps you send money around the world. If you've ever tried to send money internationally, you know just how expensive and time-consuming it can be, as well as how steep the exchange rates are from your bank or your provider. Here's why I will be using TransferWise for my next international money transfer. Unlike other providers, TransferWise is a completely transparent way to send money internationally. You know exactly what you'll pay upfront and you get the real exchange rate with no markup. The exchange rate with TransferWise is really good, so your money goes much further. And setting up a payment is simple and fast, and you only pay one small upfront fee. Founded by two friends from Estonia who were tired of feeling ripped off whenever they sent money home, they came up with a much quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Realizing plenty of other people were also feeling the same way about international transfers, they turned the idea into a company. They created a smart new system that gets rid of all the expensive traditional charges that you normally pay. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See just how much you could save at TransferWise.com. You can also download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer as in, I need to transfer money to another country, and WISE as in, I'm going to do that in a WISE way. TransferWise.com. If you manage or own a company, or if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter is a must-know. Posting your job in one or two places is no longer enough to find quality people for the job you're looking for. As a business owner, I know just how difficult it is to search for that perfect hire. You need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now, with ZipRecruiter, you can. ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you, but it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Just post once and watch all of your people come to you. Time is precious and it can feel especially fleeting for a business owner. Juggling resumes and interviews can take up a whole day. Instead, just quickly screen and organize your candidates on the easy-to-use dashboard and hire that perfect person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter is used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified candidate with immediate results. The employee you've been dreaming of is waiting for you. Give it a try. Right now, you can post your jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. One more time, try it for free today. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. Today, I have a beautiful guest joining me here on the show, Amelia Barnes. Amelia is a yoga teacher, artist, designer, small business owner, and author of the book, Landon's Legacy, The Power of a Brief Life. Amelia and I connected through some fairly difficult but serendipitous circumstances some years ago, and I'm so happy to have her here visiting us here in Aruba. Welcome to the show, Amelia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How do you feel being here? Super excited. <laughs> <laughs> Your smile is so big and right probably now. Probably an equal amount of 
little nervousness as well. <laughs> yes, that's good, actually. Yeah. 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 I'm so happy to have you on the show. You've been a super requested guest. <laughs> so for people listening, if you don't know Amelia yet, Amelia, she's uh, one of our guides on 108.com. She teaches amazing classes on there. And then you're here filming this week, and I had so many people write me, like, worried like is Amelia going to be on the podcast promise she'll be on the podcast hello we didn't hear about the podcast like people are no way really excited to listen to this episode oh that's amazing yes so we're very so excited to have you oh good yeah so we we haven't seen each other since what two years two and a half two and a half years yeah in Thailand what how did that how did that time pass so fast yeah babies 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 do that it's like you enter yeah. a time warp of, of, exactly. of madness but yeah I haven't seen yeah. you in so long so so we first connected through through social media which yeah. is which is magical and and amazing and this was I think 2014 when did we yeah well I mean I was following you from the very beginning um since I got Instagram that would have been 2000 2013 wow and then we connected yeah, it would have been, would have been like right around uh, 2014, yeah. Somewhere around there, Somewhere yeah. There, yeah. So I was running this, um, I know we have a ton of listeners that, that participated in, the, in this challenge. I was running a challenge called the Yoga Girl Challenge. People ask for like a rerun of that challenge all the time. I just <laughs> haven't had the time to do it. I really want to do it once more. It was so amazing. But it was an Instagram challenge called the Yoga Girl Challenge where every day for 21 days you committed to practicing yoga, to meditating, and also to follow a, a theme of the day. So... There was everything from, there was a day of forgiveness, there was a day of creativity, there was a day of cleaning out, a day of gratitude, and uh, so many people joined in, and you were one of them. Yes, it was really serendipitous. I, at the time, just opened my Instagram, and it was a moment, I think, where I was at a really, really low place, and the very first thing that popped up was this, like, the all of the different... The themes. The themes, the themes in this post, right? And I was looking through it, and I don't even think I saw that it was you posting it, but I was like, this is really cool. And then I was like, oh, it's a challenge. And then it just, I'd never really done a challenge like that before, and it sparked my interest right away, and I knew, like, I needed it. And, um, yeah, so here we are today. (laughs) So here we are today. It was so wonderful to see so many people really dedicate, because it was, I wanted to do a challenge that wasn't just about yoga or poses and, and things like that, but to really make a change in your life. And it was, it was wonderful. But I was going through a really shitty, shitty, shitty time um, at the time. I, I, my, my best friend, Andrea, had just passed away a couple months earlier. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think doing this challenge was a way for me to kind of bring my mind to something else and to stay focused and to, mm-hmm. you know, to do something than just not just sit home and, and, and wallow. And then I started having all these people tag me in posts or tag you in my posts mm-hmm. saying like oh my god Amelia K Barnes follow her follow yeah. her she has an amazing journey uh, watching you two together go through this and I was so intrigued I said okay who is this and I and I remember this really clearly I clicked on your profile I hadn't seen it or, or, or connected with you in any way before mm-hmm. and you had just gone through I think the biggest heartbreak a, a human being can go through yeah I think do you want to do you want to share a little uh, bit yeah I would love to I always it's a joy to be able to talk about my son, Landon, and uh, he was born in 2014, July 8th. He lived for four days and passed away in my arms, on my chest, and his story, 
I guess began when we conceived him, which was just a huge amount of emotions. And I think you can definitely relate to this. Like a mixture of just complete another shock and awe and excitement and fear all mashed up in one. And But as the pregnancy went along, I really embraced it and I got more comfortable in my body and my yoga practice. And I think... And you were sharing this on Instagram On Instagram too. really helped right. because... In my personal life, I I only had a few friends who were into yoga who had been pregnant. And yeah, and so it wasn't, I didn't have a lot of people in my life that I could kind of look to for inspiration. And so online, it was really wonderful because there was so many <laughs> people and wonderful, incredible, inspiring, inspiring women. And I was inspired to share my yoga practice while I was pregnant and so, and how was I that? Did. How was it? How was your pregnancy? <laughs> and it was good. It, it, like the beginning was not the greatest. I think I was really emotional, and I didn't get very nauseous. I didn't. I think I only threw up maybe once or twice, which was really lucky. But I just kind of felt queasy a lot of the time. And like as I got into my second trimester, and I think after that point, it just kind of kept getting better right up to the end. And I had a lot of energy. I I just really felt like I was light, lit up from the inside, which is really cool. What a beautiful and way beautiful, to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was like Landon gave me this this life um, that was more than my own, you know, which was true. He was growing inside of me. And um, and your practice was was because I've seen those photos from yeah, from your pregnancy. Yeah. Me. <laughs> Really, really, I had really a, I had a pretty solid, strong practice going into that pregnancy, which was a blessing, and that I think it helped a lot with just you know all the pregnancy aches and pains and all the rest of it. And I was, and I think that was when I got pregnant. I, I had this fear that I, I wouldn't practice or be able to practice, and I was disappointed that I would fall back and all my progress that I had, you know, worked so hard mm. to achieve would be gone and. Um, and then as my pregnancy went on, I really embraced just the way that uh, his, his participation in my practice actually really enhanced everything. It taught me a lot, a lot, a lot of patience and humility. And uh, it taught me a lot about yoga, just in the sense of being a practice of, of healing. And um, it definitely moved me away from a practice that was perhaps more based on performing and you know achieving and getting into that next fancy arm balance or trying to you know master my handstand press and that sort of thing and, and that suddenly didn't become quite as important it was uh my practice i think became uh, a little more a little softer yeah more yeah. purposeful maybe yeah more pur purposeful yeah. yeah and i and i still like <laughs> Thinking back, I still was like, I mean, I was doing arm balances, I think, up till 40 weeks. So, <laughs> so perhaps, um, oh. yeah, I, I mean, my practice still was quite strong. It's still which, really yeah. strong, yeah. Um, yeah, and then so he, like, I had a textbook, you know, perfect pregnancy. It was one of those pregnancies where I'd go into the doctors and they'd all just be like, oh, like, you know, you're so healthy, <laughs> you know. Because um, you eat healthy yeah, and you're a healthy yeah, person. exactly, and people yeah. kind of... Were you working um, then? Were you teaching? Were you... Yeah, I taught a lot. Like, those are the days when I just... Um, 
I was just starting, I think I had started my business for maybe a year and I was kind of doing that on the side as like a hobby job and like then your, your, yeah, um, my, clothing my clothing line and then the yoga teaching was like my job. So I, I did teach, um, I want to say it was up till almost 40 weeks. Wow. <laughs> or like 39 maybe. It was my dream yeah. to do that and yeah. in the end I, I we changed all my vinyasa classes to meditation classes so I just yeah, sat on a big nice. cushion. <laughs> And didn't I think move. I yeah I think I taught a lot of yin and and oh, meditation near the end for sure and then of course like the more advanced classes uh, I often just walked around and adjusted people because they were students like you know I didn't really have to demonstrate for so mm -hmm. yeah so all the way all the way until the end everything was yeah I'm beautiful or so I thought <laughs> you know um, around 37 weeks I started getting itchy and. I in your body in my body and and you know it's one of those things where you say oh you know Mitchy I goes ah yeah that was me too and and then you brush it off mm -hmm. because you know were you itchy during pregnancy no but I've heard of it there's a lot yeah. of reasons you could be itchy during pregnancy and most of the time it's not an issue but it can be and so uh yeah I uh, I mean it was this situation where I, like, I have a really hard time complaining <laughs> about anything and I have a really hard time expressing um, uh, discomfort or, or like even I feel like I have a fairly high discomfort threshold or pain threshold so I'm often I often brush things off and so I did brush it off for maybe a week or so then I mentioned it I was having a weekly doctor's appointment near the end there of course and And then I mentioned it and it was kind of like, okay, are you itchy all over? And I was like, yeah, it's like all over. And then like, then they brush it off and they're like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's common. Um, and then it wasn't until my last doctor's appointment that I was like, you know, the itchiness is really intense on my hands and my feet. And that's when it was like, oh, like, um, I saw like a bit of concern in, in the doctor's eyes and he was like, well, let's test, you know, let's do some testing. And so I had some blood drawn. And then never heard back. So a few days later, went into labor. Never heard back. Uh, never heard back. Oh. No. And and that's one of the things I don't like to talk about it a lot because I hate to, I hate to suggest that I, I blame anybody because I don't. Um, I really don't. I uh, I don't. I think everybody did the best that they could have done. And you know the way things happen in the medical world is sometimes tests don't always get back to the the right person at the right time or they get slipped under, you know, mm -hmm. anything can happen. So I, I don't, um, so yeah, I don't hold, uh, I don't hold that in my heart anymore. No, you don't have to get stuck yeah, on that. Yeah, I don't get stuck yeah. on that anymore. And so, um, so just a few the, days yeah, later. Yeah, a few days later, I want to say it was like four or five days later, uh, Friday, yeah, it would have been four, five days later, I went into labor and, And how was that? Was it like the water broke? Was it no, what you had imagined? Um, or was it? Oh, goodness. I, it was funny because I was 41 weeks and I had gotten to the point where I was like, hey, I'm just going to stop thinking that I'm pregnant because clearly thinking about this is not helping. Because I was so, like, you know, you get to the 40 weeks, you were there. And you're just like, yeah. just what's, like, is this going to happen? And then you're just, 
constantly thinking you're going into labor. <laughs> um, so I was like, hey, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to live my life. The baby's going to come out, right? <laughs> um, and so the day before we had had our fetal assessment, which you have at 41 weeks or around there to make sure baby is good and, you know, check to make sure there's enough fluid and, and all the rest of it. And things were perfect. I was happy. They sent me away happy. And I think that testing also gave me this reassurance too, because I was, I asked, you know, like, oh, you know, I, they were worried about this. Do you think like it's a problem? She's like, oh no, like, you know, she kind of gave me this reassurance that, um, if, if there was any problems we would have noticed, you know, or yeah. that was the, the, what I got from the technician doing the ultrasound. So I had this sense of, oh, okay, you know, things are good. I'm like, good. They didn't call me good news. Baby's coming. This is great. So I was feeling really positive and went home next morning, woke up I took my dog Cody for a walk like I do every morning and I just I felt like a shift on that walk I was like things like I, I could have I had this feeling that things were happening um and I'd have been having like the Braxton Hicks or those practice contractions and so it kind of felt like that but maybe a little bit more and I was I'm like you know what I'm just gonna go to a yoga class like so I, I took off drove to the studio and I, I had a few things to drop off from my business business as well and it just so, so turned out that the yoga class was actually full. So I couldn't get in. So I was like, okay, this is a sign. Like, mm. <laughs> clearly, it's not meant to be. So I turned around and started driving home. And as I was driving home, it like really picked up. I was like, okay. This, this is not a labor. practice. Yeah. This is, this is labor. This is labor. Um, and then I had gone home around 11 or just before noon. And, um, and my labor went like from zero to 100 in no time at all. It was so bizarre. And so... I had this like printout on our fridge that was like all the stages, you know, we had been to uh, hypnobirth class and we had a doula and we we're just like, you know, all, <laughs> yeah, I felt very prepared anyways. And uh, it's so funny how you think you can prepare <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. you realize like yeah. there's no preparing. <laughs> no preparing for this, no. Um, but I, so I had this little chart. I'm like, okay, what stage am I at? And I'm like, trying to time these contractions and my contractions were all like back to back back to back and so I'm like yeah this is transition what <laughs> like, I just started going into labor and so I had this idea in my mind that I was gonna have the baby like now <laughs> like, so I started I had this intuition that we should really go to the hospital and that was not really the plan because I had wanted really badly to have a lot of the labor at home I actually I think had I been able to get a midwife I, I most likely would have wanted to have the birth at home and so so kind of strange for me um to be like calling my husband my mom my doula being like oh we gotta get to the hospital now um but we did and and it was good because my contractions were just like insane back to back constant no break so how dilated um, were you when you when you got there? Not very much. No. <laughs> like, isn't that like I, I gosh, it was like three or four. Mm. Like not much at all. And I was like, Are you kidding me? What the like hell? I thought I was ready. This I thought like and, and, and I also know because my mom had a really fast labor, so mm -hmm. I had that in the back of my head that maybe that would be the case for me. because um, she had like labors where they like almost came out in the car kind of <laughs> like two hour type things. So yeah, I got to the the hospital and uh, got into triage and they put the heart rate monitor on and of course his heart rate was there and and it, it was this bizarre thing because looking back I remember feeling this like relief or this really deep sense of um, 
almost a mixture of relief and fear because it was in that moment that I realized that there was an alternative to that. Like in my entire pregnancy, even in like the early phase of like, you know, where you could have a miscarriage more likely, I didn't really even let my mind go there. It was like, I don't know what it was. I think if I went there, it, it was just a too scary of a place to be. Mm. So it was in that moment in the hospital and for whatever reason that I allowed that thought in that there could be an alternative that like, and, and, and I actually never knew anybody who had lost a baby, like other than a miscarriage who had lost like a full-term baby. So um, I, I think it wasn't on my radar uh, partially because I actually didn't know what happened <laughs> in, in our, like, I mean, it, I'm, I know that the infant mortality, mortality rate is still quite high in a lot of places in the world, but in, but I live in Canada, you, um, no. you don't hear about it. You don't no. think about it. It's not something. And it's also not something yeah. I think, I don't think doctors and midwives and practitioners no. like to talk about no, it. You don't want to instill this no. fear and, mm-hmm. you know. And nobody likes to. Um, no. Even, uh, and it's interesting because even as somebody who has lost a child, I still don't bring it up. Like I teach prenatal classes once a week. I don't talk about it ever. And, and it's, uh, it, it's just, it's hard because you, you don't want to be that person um, putting negative or we don't want to instill fear in anybody because. Uh, right. But still yeah. it is. It is a reality. It is a reality. So it's just this tightrope yeah. you're walking between expressing your feelings and maybe educating and then also being sensitive and... Uh, it's um, extremely challenging. It's really I, I challenging. had that with mm-hmm. um, when I was, I was 41 plus two or, or three or something. Mm-hmm. And, and we went for the fetal assessment mm-hmm. where they do the ultrasound mm-hmm. and... And they had promised me that um, if, if the amniotic fluid is good mm-hmm. and the umbilical cord is good and the heartbeat is strong, then you have until week 42 to mm-hmm. still labor at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went there and everything was great. Mm-hmm. And still this, um, the gynecologist, she's like, no, I'm going to schedule you for, to get this started, to mm-hmm. induce you tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I said, but why? There was no... There was no reason that she would, you know, you told me that if everything was okay, I would have it until week 42. And she looked me in the eye and she said, are you going to debate your unborn child's life with a doctor? For every day that you don't have this baby, the risk is higher of having a stillborn child. Are you going to debate this with me? And I looked her in the eye and I was, I could have killed her. Like mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. furious. The whole, I cried the whole way home in the car. I was so angry. Like how could she bring this up? Is she out of her mind? Like I was so furious. Mm-hmm. But it happens. <laughs> it's not like, like now that I'm sane and not yeah. pregnant anymore. <laughs> of course, it's, you're so hormonal and, mm-hmm. and emotional. Of course, like there's a, there's a reason that this medical experienced person is telling me this. You know, there's a reason that she is encouraging me to have the baby early. Maybe there's too much of that encouragement sometimes in the medical mm-hmm. world. Like who knows where the balance is. But in that moment in time, like mm-hmm. I, I didn't want my mind there. Exactly. And yeah, it is such a challenge and I was in the same place as you like I had I would have gone to 42 weeks and it's the same way they I mean I guess it depends on your doctor but a a lot of women that I know they they don't get to induce till 42 or after that's just kind of the way our medical system works like you're not priority enough sometimes Uh I've had some friends that go and they're begging they're like please (laughs) they're like no 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 there's more important women in there you know, so in, in France, yeah. they don't consider you full term until 42. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So it's I not think even... average um, first time mother would be 41 in one day or something, something is yeah. the average or something. So I was pretty average. Like I actually but then when you got at 41 in, in one day. When you came to the hospital and then yeah. they checked the heart and everything was yeah, fine. Everything was fine. And you felt relief. I but felt relief. Go... Yeah. Um, and honestly, I don't know if I really felt fear in that moment that was conscious. But when I look back, I remember like a pit in my stomach and I, I wonder what that was. Like maybe something intuitive. I don't, I don't really know what that was. But my labor, like in the hospital, I think I arrived around one. And so Landon wasn't born until maybe nine or nine-ish in the evening. So I was in the hospital laboring for about eight or nine hours. And again, like no one, like, I mean, I was a very normal, healthy pregnancy. There wasn't, I wasn't high risk. So I wasn't in, uh, I had a nurse, nurse, lots of nurses, you know, they check in on you. I, I wasn't monitored the whole time. It was just like, okay, let's check for baby's heart rate, blah, 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 off and on. Um, and then oh, I was in the shower a lot and I didn't have an epidural. So there was, and because my, back, my contractions were back and back, back to back, it was pretty much essential. Like I, Whenever I came out of the shower, I was like, oh, okay, I'm back in there. It was the only thing that brought me relief. And so somewhere, I guess, around that time in the evening, 8 or 9 o'clock, and I, I was so deep into labor that I had no awareness of time, but I do have this picture in my mind of the clock across from the bed that was somewhere around 8 o'clock when, um, when I heard the nurse say, oh, like his heart rate is, something's happening with heart rate. I can't even remember the words. And then it was like... And was that from just a check? Yeah, they were checking my belly with the, the heart rate yeah. monitor thing. But so could it, could it have been low for a while it and they just have, found out or they didn't have, know? It could have. And because I... But I had been in the shower for a little bit before that and it's, they would check me while I was in the shower as well. So it was kind of... But I, to be honest, because I had no perception of time that I don't really know how much time had passed between like the last time and then that time. And... Um, so his heart rate was dropping and it was almost immediate that they put the little clip in his head. So they kind of, I just felt something going up there and clip. And I, again, it didn't really feel like anything. I just kind of, it was such a blur. Like it was like I wasn't even really there. And you you would have been, I remember listening to your birth podcast and like that place where you really just have no fucking yeah. clue what's no. happening. I mean, all that's there yeah. is just this yeah. like living through the moment, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And after eight years, eight hours of like the most intense back-to-back contractions, I was really like in a weird place. So, um, and all I really remember about that time was being kind of thrown onto one of those wheelie things and from the shower. Through the, or from, I was on the bed at that time because they had checked me, clipped his head, found that his heart rate was obviously in a bad situation, bad enough to warrant a emergency C-section. And so they kind of threw me onto the bed and were running me through the hallways. And it was Justin there. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember him because I guess he he was there, but like not in my sight. Um, but I do remember nurses, and I remember one just being like she was like glowing with light. And I remember it, it was in this weird weird mind where I was like everything was just so beautiful, and I was just in this dreamy state at this point, and I felt like. I felt like people describe before they die. It's like, it was so bizarre, but I was so at peace. I was so filled with joy. I Being was rushed to the, yeah, I was just filled with excitement and joy. I had never been as happy as that moment because I knew he was going to arrive. Like I was like, yes, like I did not care anymore. Like it's funny because going into that, my biggest fear was the C-section. 
<laughs> and then at that moment, though, I was like, bring it on. <laughs> I was like, totally he's coming. Like, he's that's coming. All. That's all I cared about. And, um, and so I was really happy that I knew that when I wake up, he'd be here and, and, and everything would be good. And, uh, and I actually had had a, a friend or uh, a woman that I follow on social media, uh, Empowered Birth Project, actually. Oh, um, I, I had just I started follow following her, too, her yeah. um, and she was really new on Instagram. And so I had kind of gave it a little shout out and we kind of been chatting and, and I was really inspired by her and vice versa. So she had just had a, a C-section. And so that gave me a little bit of perspective and I felt like, you know, like, you know, this is, this is okay. Like, like if you I'm, need one, if you, you need, need one, one, you need one. Yes. It's not yes. like, yeah, you know, I had... Yeah, I had this idea in my head that, like, you know, I had to do it the natural way or my baby wasn't going to be, like, happy or something. It was just messed up. Like, um, but, yeah, so I uh, woke up from the C-section and, like, they had been, I was under gener- general anesthetic, so I wasn't aware of anything happening. I just kind of, my last memory was breathing into the mask and being, like, um, just thinking in my mind, like, take bigger breaths, bigger breaths, the faster you can get this in, the faster you're going to fall asleep. Cause all I want to do is speed up so they could get him out. And, um, and then I woke up and it was like, there's just a complete, it was like a different person. Like there was a complete shift in energy. And in that moment I knew he was gone and it was just the weird, scariest and um, it's hardest feeling to explain because I think unless you felt you felt it, I don't think you can describe it or know it. But basically, it's just, just emptiness, maybe, um, because I knew like he wasn't in me anymore, and then he wasn't there in the room, and I knew that was bad because <laughs> usually if you have a C-section, like you know there, you know he wasn't premature or anything, so usually he would be with you. Uh, and, and I just remember this feeling that he was gone and that it was bad. And I remember saying like, where's Landon? Where's Landon? And I kept asking, and I don't know where my husband was. I think he was with Landon, but my mom was there. Um, and she was, I guess, I think the first words she said were, well, he's alive. And, you know, you would think that would be a really good thing to hear. But it wasn't. Because I knew that it wasn't going to be for long. Um, and I could tell by the tone in her voice, too, that it wasn't going to be for long or that it wasn't good. Um, and so, yeah, it was really horrible. <laughs> and... Was anybody else with you then, or was uh, it? there was lots of people? But I don't remember it. Um, I remember being in, on that operating table for a while, though, because eventually they brought him, uh, and I was still in that operating room, as far as I know, unless unless the recovery room looked like an operating room, I don't know. But it was just a lot of metal and cold and fluorescent light, and they wheeled him in. And I wonder how long this was, because I was, you know, when you come out of anesthetic, you're not really mm. sure about time um so eventually he came a few hours later maybe two hours or an hour and a half maybe and um he was in the incubator and he was hooked up to everything like wires coming out of everything and uh and it was horrible (laughs) um to see him like that and but it was also the first time I got to see his face so it was just this like 
if you can imagine like most like the jo most joyful moment in your life where you get to see your baby's face for the first time but then the most horrible moment in your life where you know your baby's gonna die and then they're combined together in one so it's like could you hold him i couldn't uh, i couldn't hold him there was all these wires out of everything and he was in an incubator uh, i think i could reach and touch him uh, i think i touched him and the first thing I noticed was that he looked exactly like me. It was just crazy. I just like I was looking like looking at a baby who was me, and so that even was even more of like a. I mean, it was so intense, and I saw him. And all I wanted to do was to be a hold him. I couldn't hold him, and that was horrible. <sighs> because I knew he was so alone in there. And I didn't know if he was feeling anything or not. I didn't know if he was scared. I didn't know, you know, he had no, he wasn't moving, he hadn't, he didn't open his eyes. Uh, so, um, did you get any answers at that point or was it nothing just... nothing nothing everyone was just shocked no one no one had any idea what happened or why that happened nobody it was just like what the hell um and I was just dumbfounded I was like this like I I've I'm on my life because I had not known anything like this stuff happened to anyone I knew or heard about it ever I literally thought like I was the only person this happened to. I was like, what did I do? Like I was like, how could this have gone so wrong? Like, and so, um, I, we were told by the doctors that it didn't look good. Um, but that there's always chances, you know, like they, they, they can never say anything a hundred percent. So we agreed to keep them on the life support and do the three day what they do is they they put him on a cooling pad and they cool his body temperature for three days and they hope that it reduces the brain from swelling and, and maybe helps reverse or repair um, brain damage the brain damage that would have occurred because he wasn't like he would his heart would have stopped beating like I mean the c-section itself probably took somewhere around seven minutes but um, they weren't able to resuscitate him for about 15 minutes. And that's a very long time to be without a heartbeat and breath. And some babies have, like they will recover from that and they actually go on and live good lives. And it happens. Um, it, it can be, I actually have met babies that have survived that. Um, but he wasn't that. Um, he had so much brain damage that they didn't think he would even be able to take a breath on his own. And as the days, the three days passed, his organs started to shut down and like they just kept pumping him full of all kinds of medications. And it was, and I honestly didn't think I could hold out any longer watching it because nothing, nothing was helping. Like there was no, it wasn't getting better and he had no reflexes and he could not open his eyes. Um, and I just wanted like it to stop like the pain and whatever I don't know if he felt pain but I didn't want him to be apart from me any longer because I couldn't hold him 
Um, and so we did decide that we would take him off life support on that third day if we didn't see any improvement on the MRI. And when they did the MRI, there was no improvement and it was bad. There was like his whole brain was completely damaged. So it was that Friday evening that we decided to remove life support and and yeah, so it's it, it, we didn't know how long we would have with him, and I think that that was challenging. They like they just said, like just you know, what we'll do. They kind of explained it, like we'll put him, like they have this like pump thing. It's like a hand pump that they can ventilate his lungs or help him breathe or with, I guess, when he's extubated, so he's taken off the breathing machine, and say so that we'll we'll use that for him until you get to your room, so that at least he doesn't die on the way to your room basically and so they're like and then we'll remove that and then like we'll just have to see what happens you just wait we just wait and um and so we got to take him to our room and we had a really nice room there they have a special room for i guess parents who have to say goodbye and so we removed his uh breathing his tubes all of his breathing stuff and and then he kept breathing which was really wonderful and beautiful and I think that was his uh, I don't know like it was I don't I think it, it made a big difference for me because I had that time with him where he was still alive in a sense like he wasn't at all present um in the terms of like being able to open his eyes or, or do anything but he was breathing and his you know, his skin was, was a nice color, and he looked just like a sleeping baby. And, I mean, we could kind of imagine that he was. And so we spent that whole night, like, he, he just kept breathing. <laughs> I'm breathing, I'm breathing, and we just kind of... I've uh, seen these photos yeah. of, of him, <laughs> and it, yeah. you just look like, like you just had a baby. And I know. It's your day, yeah. first day at the and hospital, think, and that's it. That was an incredible gift um, because we have photos. Um, and I know a lot of the time, I mean, it's not something you would think of doing when you're losing a child. It's just not, your brain isn't working that way. So the fact that I think it was my, we had a social worker that works with the people who are in the NICU and um, she had suggested photos. and uh, And because I was, on Instagram at the time, and I had shared my entire pregnancy, I had I knew that I wanted to have photos to share with the world. I mean, I think I would have wanted photos no matter what, but I think knowing that because I had this platform that was based on visual media, I, um, I felt like an extra need for photos, and I, did, I didn't know at the time if I was actually even going to share any of them. It wasn't really... Actually, at, at that moment, I almost felt like I want to just delete my whole Instagram account and never venture online into a public space, online or in real life ever again. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if that was it, but I did have this intuition that that I would want photos, and and I do. I, I mean, I wish I had more. <laughs> you know, when that's all the photos you'll ever get of your child in their entire life, all of a sudden, a hundred photos is not enough, mm. and. Um, so we took photos, uh, 
and what was it like holding him oh gosh um i think at first just really sad really really sad and because i had spent three days already in the hospital um in so much fucking pain like that was the world's worst c-section i mean i'm sure other c-sections are bad but um it was brutal i think when the quicker they do a c-section and the more like they literally just rip me open <laughs> when they do it in planned circumstances it's a lot gentler as i found out um, having my daughter through a planned c-section but um but yeah it was brutal like i could barely stand at all i was in constant like I would just, every so often, it felt like somebody took a knife and stabbed me as hard as they could, and that pain would last for a minute or two, and then to the side, but I don't exactly know where it was. I think it was because they did, like, some stitching deep within me that would sometimes get kind of twisted around, or it was, something was going on in there, but it was the most brutal pain. Like, at one point, I thought I was going to die, and I had to phone, because I was in the room alone for some reason, and I had to phone, like, my husband and be like tell people I have to go back to the whatever and get checked out because I think I ripped open. <laughs> like that's what it felt like. So it was brutal. So the physical pain was, um, and to ma- and manage physical pain, I think that that almost detracted from my ability to feel emotional pain um, to its fullest extent. And you're probably numb. Numb in a way. Yeah. And, and I remember like um, talking to my husband about this afterwards and, and he, it scared him a lot because I wasn't crying. Like for the first, I don't think I, I mean, maybe I cried at night, but like during the day I was just like stone, like, like I had no emotions and it terrified him. He's like, he thought he had like, like he thought I would never come back. <laughs> um, and I guess he, he was more emotional than I was at the hospital, I think. Um, so so yeah, at that point, because I, and I hadn't really slept much. Um, and so that point it was just, uh, it was hard to feel anything. Um, and by the next morning, I, so he's, he kept breathing, he kept breathing all day, all night. And then the next so they morning said he, that they need, he needed yeah. a hand pump to get yeah, to the room, yeah, but he, yeah. the whole night he stayed. he still stayed and it was, um, hmm. I have mixed feelings about that because yeah, I think it was, it, it was, it had to be that way and it, and it was meant to be that way. But then there's always a part of me that was like, oh, like, was he suffering? Was he, you know, and it is hard to watch your baby die, obviously, but like when you, it's the, what happens when, and I didn't know about this, I never watched anyone die before. So what happens is that, um, they'll stop breathing. And so he stopped breathing a lot. And then he would turn blue and he would look like he had died. But then something triggers his brain, like the lowest point of his brain, like that, um, that triggers the breathing. And then somebody would trigger that because he was without oxygen for so long and he would just start breathing again. And then it would go back into that cycle. And so that happened many, many times. And so every time we thought we had lost him. And so we had to keep going through that over and over again. And so by the time it was like one, maybe noon or so. And, uh, 
my sister, like my fam, by that time, a lot of her family had visited and they had a chance to see him and hold him, which was really beautiful because I didn't think that would happen because we thought he would, he would die right away. They got to meet him. They got to yeah. meet him. Um, and some had met him in the NICU, others hadn't. So it, that was really wonderful. And my sister is a nurse and she works in the NICU and it was actually really serendipitous because that was her very first week. She was a student actually. She, and that was her first week, um, after her, uh, residency. So she was actually working at NICU. And so she took the week off because of what was happening, but she was there with me and, um, or no, she didn't take the week. No, I don't remember. No, no, no. She, she would work and then she would come and, 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 cause she was at a different hospital at the time. And then she would come and visit. Okay. And she, she basically like spent like every waking moment with me, which was that she could with me. And that was really, really a blessing because she knew a lot about what was happening. And, and she could explain to me why he stopped breathing and, and that kind of thing. And, and then the, when he was breathing, it was very hard for him to breathe. So he was like wheezing. So it was like, <laughs> and that kind of breathing. So it wasn't like a peaceful breath at all. Just um, hearing you talk mm, about this, this is this like a, yeah. it's not a, it's not a human situation. Like no. it's, it's an unimaginable yeah. place. And the most bizarre thing is, is that when you're in that situation, it actually it's not as horrible. Like it, it, it's beautiful at the same time. It's just, it was, um, because you're with your child for the first time. So, and they're dying, but they're also living. Mm. <laughs> so you can either experience that time as if they're dying or as if they're living, you know? Mm. And so I eventually maybe realized that and decided that, you know, if this was the only time we were going to have one, then we might as well make the most of it. So, you know, I remember at one point we were even joking around, like, oh, you know, he's being like a little joker like his daddy. And, like, you know, <laughs> Dustin loves to play pranks on me all the time and goof around. So, you know, that was that was our mm. little boy. And, uh, and my sister, she had actually suggested a few times, that, you know, you should really do skin-to-skin contact with him because that's what they recommend for any baby that's in the NICU who's struggling um, because skin to skin contact is one of the, it is the best way to help a baby because they're next to you in the womb and to be next to you once they're outside of the womb is very healing. And there's, you know, countless scientific studies that have shown babies to develop better and uh, grow I know better. they do that in uh, mm-hmm. in Sweden where I'm from mm-hmm. I have a, a cousin had a, a baby at 26 or 27 weeks mm-hmm. really early yeah. and they don't use incubators anymore mm-hmm. so they put you in a sterile room yeah. and for oh, 24 wonderful. hours a day you're skin yeah. to skin that's they amazing. call it the kangaroo it everywhere. Yeah. method yeah. Yeah. So 12, yeah, yeah. she would do 12 hours yeah. and then her husband yeah. 12 hours and they would alternate wow. for that's incredible. Three months. Yeah. yeah, actually, my sister is telling me about that. It's not like that where we are, but I think they are would like the more than likely move but towards it makes that. Sense. It's, I mean, it's a more progressive. I think being out of the yeah. womb, that's the deepest yeah. connection mm-hmm. you can make. Yeah, yeah. So they do is like the moms I've known who've been in the NICU do 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 a lot of skin to skin, and it. And how did you feel? What did you feel? Um, well, I didn't want to do it in the beginning um, because I. I guess I was like, well, he's not getting better. Like, he's not, like, why? Like, he's not, 
he's dying. Like, and I guess it was this, it was a fear too that I was going to hurt him or make him more uncomfortable because he had, when they remove all the tubing, they just kind of cut off all the wires and then like put these clamps on the, so you had like his whole belly was just like a mess of wires still. So he had all that and I didn't, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to like, so I have him in a blanket. Um, and because it didn't look very good and I didn't want to see that. And so, but then, and also like, I couldn't really hold him very easily because of how much pain I was in with the C-section. So to have him on me, I didn't really know how to get him positioned right because I didn't want him to be on my belly at all. And, uh, so then she was like, oh no, just, just lie down. And so I managed to lie down a little bit on a pillow and then she had just kind of unswallowed him and plopped him there. And, and it was completely, I don't know the right word for it, but as, as soon as he landed on my chest, he relaxed and it was a very tangible sense of letting go. And I felt that through my skin and... And it was in that very moment that he took his last breath. And it was just like this, a sigh, like, <sighs> and then he was gone. And I kind of kept expecting him to keep struggling, but he didn't struggle. Like he didn't fight anymore because before that he would tense up like this and he would get, uh, his shoulders would kind of like go up and he'd get really tense and he, his fists would make, he'd make fists. And then as soon as he was on me, he didn't. You can see like he just completely melted. And so that was just like, yeah, that was incredible to feel that. And, um, and it, the realization hit me that, you know, he probably was holding on that long because I don't know if it was, he was fearful to let go or, um, he was confused. You know, I've heard some people speak of like, um, when you die and your soul or your spirit or whatever is going to depart the body, when you're in that state of like not dead but kind of almost, it, the spirit is kind of there but not in the body but around the body and then kind of waits for the right moment to, he was to leave. waiting for you yeah, all along. Yeah, and so I, I, I was very... I didn't know if he was there, like if he, if it was just this empty shell or if it, he was actually there, like, because I didn't, I didn't know how I felt about that. And I also wondered if he had actually died inside of me and that they resuscitated him, but it was just artificial. Like they had just, like, it was just machines and that his soul wasn't there. So I don't know, like, but in that moment, I knew that he was there. He was there. Yeah. And that was an incredible gift because, you know, I um, can look back at the photos and actually believe that um, that was him. And and I don't, like, I, I know so many moms who have stillborn babies. And I think that that, like, you can, uh, and I think had that been my situation, I would have found another way to feel that some peace around that but for me in my situation I it gave me a lot of comfort to know that um, there was something there was some not maybe consciousness isn't the right word but there was uh, an awareness there of you some kind him. I mean, and then was... and that he maybe knew I was there yeah, yeah. <sighs> he wasn't alone yeah and I also have a feeling too like 
because he had spent his whole life inside my womb that when he was outside and not with me, he was really confused. And then when he came into contact with me, he felt like he was back in my womb and that was what he needed to transition. So that's another thing that... The coming back yeah. home. <laughs> Kleenex. Let's take a Kleenex break. Kleenex break. I'm going to be snorting all over the place. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm glad I put the Kleenex <laughs> box here. I mean, I was... I was crying before you came here. It's <laughs> just knowing you were going to talk about this because this is so... I mean, everyone can relate to your story in some shape or form. You know, the, this, the fear of death or, mm. or having, you know, losing a loved one, whether it's a parent or a friend, like in my case. And, and now, since having become a mom, like this is, it's, it's not imaginable. I can't put the... I can't really put the thought in my mind. And I, I relate because I am a mom now to a living baby. Lily. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Lily. And <laughs> and I also can't, even though I have lived it. That's so odd. And and I don't know if it's a coping mechanism. I don't know what it is, but like I I can't not imagine losing her. How or if how I do long... for a moment, I just it just you know no, I can't. Yeah. How long? Um... Mm -hmm. How long after Landon passed did yeah. you get pregnant with Lily? Uh, eight months, uh, about. And it was well, right after your retreat. <laughs> Literally. Yes. Came home and bam. <laughs> because what day did yeah. Landon? He, he passed away? Uh, well, it would have been July 12th. And I got home from your cheat on March 8th. So after he passed, that's, mm. I don't know how much time passed before mm -hmm. I started that Instagram challenge and then people it was started. In August? Yeah. It ended in the beginning of September. Yeah. Or maybe it was late July, but sometime around then. Yeah. Okay. So maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah. After. It wasn't long at all. But I was writing a lot about my experience by then. And that's so, yeah. the, the fact that you chose to do that, I think it's yeah. so, because you can, you can choose to shut down and yeah. to hide away and yeah, that, yeah. that that feeling of, okay, I want to close my Instagram account. I want to close my life and never mm -hmm. meet anybody ever again, never talk about this ever. Mm -hmm. But actually stepping out, I found for me when I was going through the, the mm -hmm. grief of losing my best friend, the, uh, I had that too. I said, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I post every day fucking handstands and beach pictures. Like mm -hmm. it's bullshit. I'm never coming back. I'm never talking to anyone ever again. Mm -hmm. But then I didn't and I, I shared and instead I felt this pain and I shared about the pain. And I found that for every moment that I would, I would write in my notes app on the iPhone and it would be middle of the night or these like moments of absolute mm -hmm. despair. There's the darkest time. And I would write about it and I would just write what I felt and then I would share it. And it was such a huge piece of my healing the telling the story that's so hard to tell, the sharing, the pain that's so hard to carry. And then, you know, hearing people that have gone through the same thing and getting that support from people just, it was totally life-changing. Yeah. And I also wrote everything on my notes app in the, um, in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and then also felt like it was almost mechanism. like it was once I could get the feelings into words and kind of sort them out into sentences and be like, okay, coherent a little bit. And and then at the end, I could be like, okay, what is in this that could be, you know, can this be positive? Sometimes not, but usually I could find some gem or some silver lining in something and that would uplift me enough to keep going with a day. Um, whether it was just, you know, gratitude or um, appreciation of the present moment or... Um, 
so many little things because you shared it so yeah because people started tagging you in my posts Mm -hmm. and you have to read this you have to connect with this girl and then in the challenge it said oh she has to win all everybody's amelia has because the the prize of the challenge Mm -hmm. was if you won we only had one prize one winner and we were supposed to have one winner one person Mm -hmm. and uh, everybody said amelia has to go to thailand and then i clicked and then i I read your story and I remember I scrolled all the way back. Like mm-hmm. I know many, many people did. And it was just, I remember for the first time in, in my own grief, because for me it had been three or four or so months since since, since my friend passed away. Uh, seeing someone else go through the, the same type of, of pain mm-hmm. was a big, because I wasn't, I didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. I felt very alone in my grieving kind of, this output of sharing with the world, but no one was really sharing with me back in that, in that way. And I, I, I read your story and it was just, okay, I lost a friend, you lost a baby. The magnitude of that is, um, yeah, I remember telling Dennis, like, you know what? There are moments when I feel there's nothing worse than this. But I said, there is, you know, perspectives here. There's other lives. People die all the time. Like this girl lost her baby, you know, and here I am complaining about my stuff. I don't know. It just, it gave me a different sense of, you know, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. and grief happens and death happens and loss happens and somehow people survive and you yeah. were surviving somehow somehow. <laughs> somehow it's like we don't really have a choice no like, I, mean, I know and sometimes it just feels like you don't want to but then um there's just little things that pull you through and when i look back to that summer there are actually some really beautiful things about it it wasn't totally dark and I think um I think that actually sharing and writing about it helped me see those points of lightness and um and actually having the the prompts from your challenge really helped bring out a lot of that because it got me thinking about things that I maybe I boost wasn't thinking about or was too afraid to think about and and then once I and every day because it was interesting because it almost seemed like the day is aligned with something in my life that was happening that day that really fit or that really that 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 the questioner that theme was perfect it was exactly what I needed at that moment and that was just really and and it's a feeling that I get with you a lot because even with this podcast every week I've mentioned to you like every week is oddly exactly what I needed (laughs) in that moment like it's about something that's like so perfect for what I'm thinking or going through you know that's how Uh, energetically connected we all are because you don't know how many people say that like this about the podcast specifically Mm -hmm. because I always share or happen to come across a guest or a theme that's always relating to my own stuff like I knew we were going to do this podcast and I haven't been dreading it at all like I love you I love talking to you but I know this is a heavy this is a heavy one okay yes. last week I spoke to a super like lighthearted conversation this super awesome um, yeah actor singer like awesome cool guy but very lighthearted. and I know okay this is deep stuff like we're going to cry here we're going to blow our noses in this podcast it's hard to talk about but it also for me because I have I have this deep-seated fear that something is going to happen to Leah Luna. I mean, I'm I'm sure every mother does, and it's something that you don't want that fear at the front of your mind Mm -hmm. because you can't live. I mean, it would be like every time Dennis takes her to go for a walk, like, you know, I would panic, like you can't. But I've had that, and and my my whole pregnancy, kind of the way you describe it, 
Like I think at the back of my head, I had this fear because I've had a lot of loss in my life, so much death. And uh, I remember the moment that, that we found out that we were pregnant, that there was this little voice that says, mm, is it going to work out though? You know. So for those three first months of, of mis miscarriage, I wasn't thinking about the miscarriage that it was possible, but it was at the back of my mind, but I didn't let myself feel it. And then I got, as I got more and more pregnant, I was like, wait, I guess this is happening. I guess... I guess she's going to live. I guess I'm going to have, you know, but it wasn't until I actually had her in my arms that I looked at her like, oh my God, like she's yeah. alive. Like yeah. I have an alive baby. Yeah. And that fear, you know, I think I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. That's what all other moms tell me. Like this is having your heart live outside your body for That's as long as exactly you can live. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, it, but, there's two ways you can approach that, right? Like, I've had to let go of a lot of control in so many ways. And I think that was the one thing that actually gave me sanity through my pregnancy with Lily. Was And I wrote about it at least a few times. Just this feeling like it wasn't really up to me. Um I, I, I hate to say everything happens for a reason because that's like, but like I really did get a sense that no matter what happens, I can't be so quick to decide whether it's good or bad because it, right? I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I, I, I remember writing about this in my book somewhere. I have the chapter open, I think. Yeah. Do you mind if I read Oh, I would love piece? you to, yeah. Because this was my most, I mean, something that I really wanted yeah, to ask you is, yeah. okay, you you lost a son and mm -hmm. then you get pregnant again and mm -hmm. how, um, because I live with that fear. And sometimes that fear, the fear of something happening to my baby mm -hmm. can be so overwhelming that I can totally lose my, I don't know if you noticed, but we took a class yesterday together or we yeah. practiced, like, we were two people next to me in, at mm -hmm. Island Yoga here. It started raining. And I left the room. Did you notice? Yes. I left halfway. Mm -hmm. I so it started raining and in Aruba people don't really know how to drive in the rain. And then I was on my mat in the middle of a really nice practice, really present, feeling really good. And then this little tiny thought pops up, like, I wonder if Dennis is out driving with the baby in the rain. And then I waved it away. And then that little thought is just grows and grows and grows. And I can imagine in like, the whole scenario plays out in my head. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, I think after having lost someone, you kind of mm -hmm. live this way, but the whole scenario up until like him coming back with an empty car seat, like open flashed in my oh mind. My <laughs> which is not real and it's not true. God, this is so hard to talk about. But I had to leave the room. Like I had to leave the room and I run out to the front desk and I'm like, can someone please call Dennis? Like call Dennis right now. And the front desk girls are trying to call him, but the phone isn't working. They called three times. It doesn't work. I run back to the office. Like I get my phone and I'm panicking, you know, in the rain, calling him. And he's like, no, no, everything is fine. Like they're fine. They're chilling somewhere. Everything is okay. But that fear, like it takes me completely insane places sometimes. And I want to, yeah, I want to find a way to live with that and not mm -hmm. go insane because she needs to have a life. Like she's going to go do things and I don't know, go find herself in the jungle somewhere when she gets older. Like, like life, she's yeah. going to have to go to school oh. and, you know, like there's moments every day where I have to let go a little bit mm -hmm. of this trying to control, making sure that cause there's no way to live like that. Well, that rain was so like in terms of like, the sound <laughs> in the shallow though. Yeah. The rain was so beautiful. <laughs> But I couldn't enjoy but it, I could, you know, yeah, because I get stuck I, in yeah. this thing and I don't want to live with this trying to, like, mm -hmm. I know I have to let go. And 
after I lost my friend, I would, every time anyone would leave the room, mm -hmm. I would imagine them dying. Mm -hmm. Like that was just for yeah. the longest time. So what I wanted, what I was really interested mm -hmm. or what I really wanted to talk to you about was, mm -hmm. okay, you lost the son and mm -hmm. then you get pregnant and then how to live not in panic that something's going to happen because you actually lived through, okay, the worst. It happened to me, you know, could it happen again? Yeah. And I don't know if there's any right answer <laughs> to that. I think I've been fortunate in that before Landon, I hadn't experienced loss. So in one way, perhaps I, I, I feel like I entered the biggest tragedy in my life in a very good mental space in the sense that I felt in the back of my mind, like actually like the maybe all these years of yoga and preparing and You know, yoga is there, like, I remember going to my first teacher training and uh, this guy kind of being like, I was like 21, I was a baby. And and he and after we have a conversation, he didn't mean anything bad by it. He's like, hey, I think you're like the only one here who like doesn't have like a whole lot of shit going on in your life <laughs> or like have some big drama or trauma. And I was like, yeah. And it made me kind of feel like maybe... Um, like you were missing I out. I was missing out. <laughs> Or like, wait, like, well, when's it gonna happen? Like, what's like, what's in store? And I always had this maybe an inkling of a feeling that there would be something coming because I don't know what it was. Like, I'm an intuitive person, and I just like there is something. And so maybe there was an inkling of feeling. I definitely never for a moment let myself my mind go there during the pregnancy. But then, um, I also feel that as a person. I am very trusting. Um, and so even as desperate and sad and low as I got, I think there was always a part of me that trusted that things would maybe get better and that I would survive and that it was all part of something bigger than myself. And I remember um, thinking of this analogy in a sense of like, when you're raising a child and they want something that you don't want them to have, whatever it is, like they want a bar of chocolate for breakfast or they want to go partying all night in like some <laughs> sketchy place or whatever it is, and you say no, they might get really, really, really mad at you and angry but when they grow up they're gonna look back and be like everything she did was out of love it was because she loved me and I just I remember feeling one day maybe a couple months after London died like what if this is actually an act of love like that he wasn't taken from me but this was a gift in itself for some reason that even though I'm being told, no, you cannot have your baby. You can't have a living child now. Maybe there's something, maybe, I don't know. I've, how does it, maybe this no is actually an act of love because something, when I grow up, <laughs> when I get old, when I die or after I die or something, I'll one day understand and I'll, 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 I'll be able to be at peace with that. Um, and so there was always that feeling and I think it doesn't make things better, but 
here's the thing too. I also feel that you are kind of creating your reality in a lot of ways. If you are firmly believing that nothing is going to get better and your life is hell forever, you might actually fulfill that prophecy. So I think whatever... I think our thoughts have a lot of power. A lot. A lot of power. And I think if you allow yourself to believe, not all the time, but at least in some way, allow your mind to believe that things might be okay. Because your spirit knows that things are going to be okay. That's the thing. Your spirit is never confused. It's your ego that gets in the way. Right? So Hearing you even speak these words is making me... (laughs) And kind of rest and, and, and yeah. calm. Because yeah. I think that feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop, like yeah. it's always going to come. I mean, I had the, yeah, I don't know, extreme horrible luck or blessing mm-hmm. or whatever, however we describe it. But I lost my best friend and then my mm-hmm. grandmother passed away a couple months, two months later. No, wait, this was one month later. And then uh, our dog died. Yeah. And then mid... Uh, <sighs> Two days before our retreat in Thailand, so two days before I met you, my mom tried to commit suicide. So this was within, I don't know, the scope of a couple months, like the shoes kept dropping all, mm. all around me. So I think I have that kind of instilled in me, me still, mm. you know, and like there's a part of me that knows I can trust in this, mm-hmm. relax in this love. Like she's here, she's not going to be taken from me all as well. But I was really thinking, because that's for me is the greatest, the greatest part of your overcoming this or of your, you know, living through this story is the love that you share with Lily now. And mm-hmm. just watching you two together, the the calm, relaxed trust in in your existence. Like it's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. It is wonderful. Like and it's a different experience for everyone, I think. Um you know, some moms go through loss and live with a lot of fear um, surrounding their living children. And and I've been really blessed and fortunate to have some tools. And also, I think just being immersed in the yoga community has really helped. And having access to, like, your retreat. I went to Kripalu. I, I've really... I've just been in a really good position to heal. Not everyone gets that. And, you know, it's... And that's one of the reasons, actually, I created the Landon's Legacy Retreat was to try and create a space for that healing and community to take place. So I I, I created a retreat in his honor, which is a yoga slash nature slash um, healing retreat. So... It brings together women from from all over who have. And it's lost. dedicated for women who. Yeah, who have lost. Um, so everyone who attends have lost. A lost a um, baby, a baby um, or a child, and and this year it's a little bit broader. So, um, a woman who are experiencing the loss of being able to carry, like a infertility. Mm. Um, and even uh, like a gram- grandma loss, like losing grandchildren and wow. that kind of thing. So it's a little bit broader. Uh, miscarriage is also like that, that kind of thing. How many um, of these retreats have you? Um, two so two far. So like, far. Um, what was that first one? Mm, oh like? my goodness. Uh, because it was so like looking back, I'm like, wow. Like I hosted a retreat. Like, it was a year, uh, under a year after Landon died. So I don't even know, like, I was still going through a lot myself. Like, it, Yeah, but your process yeah, from process, being yeah. in it to actually mm-hmm. using it mm-hmm. to help others, 
you know, that's, that's a fairly intense, yeah, and, quick process. And the idea came to me, ah, uh, like nine months before that. So it would have been around September, October after London died. So not long after that I had, I got this idea that this is something that I would want to do. And, um, I found the location. It was just perfect and how I much do you cry in these retreats oh well no yes and no there's a lot too. of laughter a lot of laughter actually it's amazed me at both retreats like these are like the goofiest women like, <laughs> i don't know loss brings some wild sides of you out yeah. or something or you just don't have the same inhibitions but like funny or maybe funny. just you want to live yeah, or you just want to live like yeah. so there is not no actually you think it would be really maybe. depressing but it's actually really joyful like there's so much laughing so much fun so much play mm. and um you wouldn't think it's a retreat for moms who have lost children <laughs> it's that. uh, in that sense but then the 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 um the actual practices of yoga and and that kind of deeper stuff yeah there's there's a lot of tears <laughs> yeah mm. and the journaling and sharing but what and a that beautiful kind of thing. thing because yeah. now you really are a you know, a beacon for women out there who have gone through the same thing, you know, someone to look to and for them to feel, okay, I am not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important. Like I can't even express enough. Like you actually were, I feel like you were one, like the, probably the person I look to the most, like, especially in that time. Um, like I was following you when, when Andrea passed away and, and that, really hit me like even though I never met you before like it really hit me like it really affected me maybe it was almost like a like forecasting or um not forecasting I don't know what yeah. foreshadowing mm -hmm. <laughs> or some kind of like that something was coming for me too or something because I really clung on to everything you were writing about and saying in that and um and then that also was partly the inspiration for me to actually share about it. I, I honestly don't think I would have gone down that route if it hadn't been for you, really, because there was no one else I followed who ever talked about like, that kind so of stuff. It's so important. Yeah. The more, I don't know, I feel like the older I get or the more of this type of work that I do with, like now my yoga classes and the, my retreats that I lead are very, very, very different. They're very... They're not so much about the asana at all. Mm -hmm. but there's so much focus on, on sharings. This is mm -hmm. my favorite thing to, to lead and to guide these days and just the, the core idea of you know if you're going through hell if you're going through something horrible to not keep it to yourself to not you know bury it under something and just keep it in the dark but to actually open up and share it it's it's well, first of all it's the most powerful healing tool there is I mean, shedding light on that darkness. It's, mm -hmm. it's huge, huge. I mean, I, th I feel, I can't remember who says it. I think maybe Paolo Coelho says it. I, um, the more times you speak your story, the lighter it becomes, the less it becomes your story. Yeah, you know, you kind of, yeah, you speak your story out and it becomes almost like, you know, you, the attachment to it doesn't become that big anymore. It's something that happened, but I don't have to shape my entire identity around this horrible thing that happened to me. You know, I can let it go a little bit. And for me, it's just that, that sharing, it's, it's so important, but inspiring other people to do the same when we live in a society where it's not really, ex it's not really, I don't know, it's easy to share all the amazingness and the, especially social media, the, the good part and mm -hmm. look at how amazing my life is. And it's also in the yoga world, like look at my amazing yoga practice and everything that's great about my day every day versus, okay, today is a shit day or I lost my baby. I lost my best friend. Mm -hmm. I'm going through this horrible, horrible thing. 
because it's hard to be vulnerable in a public space. It's hard to be vulnerable with people that we that we love and know. I mean, yeah. That scared me a lot. I'd actually, I'd say I was very fearful of what people would say um, because I, uh, you know, it's, online world like you should be able to say a lot of shit <laughs> um and yeah and, and and being in that place it's you don't you can't really take it in that place or you don't you don't handle stuff well <laughs> at all and I, I never did you I, get any weird oh lots yeah because I, it's baby that's this is yeah. also yeah and this is one it's... thing like people like ah oh, it's there you know and it, it it's I try and always step into other people's shoes. So for somebody who has never done a yoga class, never, maybe they don't exercise, maybe they don't even know, maybe they've never been pregnant, you know, or no one they know have done, has done yoga while pregnant. And they, they see this woman with this very advanced yoga practice being pregnant, her baby dies. Like there is just this like, uh, people would comment, well... I didn't do yoga and my, and my baby's alive. Oh or like, my God. Yeah. Like, or like, you know, she killed her baby. She shouldn't have done that pose. Like things like mm. that. Like, and, and just like, or, um, she's making this all about her. Like, look at this. She's just like making a display and like wanting attention and those kinds of like, comments. And like at the time they heard it now, I'm kind of like, it's, but yeah. And, uh, and no, then, and then those trolls that like just say stuff. That, no, but I mean, yeah. of course there is so much of that. And then what you said, just before this, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Like the reason people mm-hmm. write that, the reason they are mm-hmm. reacting to this, like there's always something deeper. Oh yeah. In that, and who knows, who knows, who knows. what it is. Yeah. I was just, I'm reading a book right now. Someone gifted me. It's uh, called Seven Habits of Extremely Efficient People. Something like that. Highly it's like effective. Highly effective. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I think you read that. Yeah, you did. Ago. You yeah. did. Someone just yeah. gave it to oh, me. Oh, cool. It's yeah. Funny. Or I just I, I was able to read a couple mm. of chapters. But there's a story in there about the author who uh, he steps on the bus or the subway or something, and then um, a father comes in with four children, and the kids are crazy. Like they're going out of their minds, running up and down like the subway cart and playing on things, climbing on things, like pushing people over, like being really rowdy. And the father just sits there with his eyes closed, doing nothing. And this guy who wrote the book is sitting next to him and he gets getting more and more aggravated and annoyed and like, these kids are going crazy. Why isn't this dad like doing something? Why doesn't he like keep control of his kids or tell them to sit down and getting more and more annoyed to the point that he actually like, excuse me, sir, your children are disturbing everyone. Could you please make them calm down? And this man opens his eyes and he looks at him and he says, oh, I'm sorry. We just came from the hospital where their mother just died. I don't know how to cope with this. And I think they don't know either. And immediately, of course, the the author was catapulted from this annoyance at these kids being crazy to putting himself in this guy's shoes. Like they just lost their mom. He just lost his wife. Who gives a shit if the kids are are being loud in the subway car? You know, and and it really hit me, this story. And if you can keep that in mind and every, every time you encounter a difficult person or a difficult situation where you can't understand the other person, you know, you don't know where they came from. What are they going through? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think for, for anyone saying, Oh, you did yoga in your pregnancy. That's why your baby died. Yeah. Maybe there is a really deep rooted fear in maybe the inadequacy of their own body, or maybe they're unhealthy and they have a longing to be able to move the way you do, you know, but don't. Yeah, you never or know. injury or disease, like, mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and to be honest, like, that would have been, like, my story kind of exploded on social media in those first few months. And then um, 
a lot of people were sharing it. So I got a lot of like maybe people like just not in my tribe that that was coming from and it's not a lot either like if those things stick with you right um so of course i mean there's yeah, more there overwhelmingly was a gazillion positive, positive supportive <laughs> I don't even know. yeah so not like and then you know the past few years even two years like i i can't even remember the last time i've had to delete anything off my instagram it's actually yeah. really miraculous in a way like like Hundred percent of everything many, is many positive followers? right now. Yeah. How many followers do you have on Instagram? One oh eight. One oh eight. I know. One hundred eight thousand people follow you. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of those people, they are all your tribe. They are your people. And they it's know just you. yeah. It's they awesome. know why they follow you. They love you. They look up to you. Yeah. And. And and you're gonna keep having that that connection of community and of and of tribe and, and support. Mm-hmm. Which is it's it's worth more than 108 million people following 100%. you. Yeah, yeah. We don't really give a shit. So yeah, you've managed to really create something absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. This, I mean, through yeah. this through this pain, it is it. It is such a blessing, and um, and it, when Lily was born, I mean. It also like and how it's was incredible. That, like how was that birth? Did you ever? Yeah, because you got some answers about. We what did happened. get answers, and I think that's so important because not only has like I think emotionally have I helped people, but like Landon's story has saved babies' lives, like a lot of babies' lives. Like I still get messages today saying I was diagnosed. So if, what happened because of you? Um, because I was, um, 37 weeks pregnant with Lily and the exact same thing happened. I started getting itchy and it was so subtle. It was just like a tickle on my calves underneath my skin at night, um, at 37 weeks. But I knew that it was the exact same sensation that had then built and got worse with Landon in those last few weeks. And, um, and I had done, uh, crazy amount of research by this time as you can imagine after you lose a child you go down every rabbit hole and you want to know what happened and so on the forefront of my mind was ICP which is um, intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy and it is a liver disease like like well liver disease like so crazy is it rare it is rare um well not as rare I think one percent of pregnancies and then in some regions of the world six percent like in Latin America, I believe. And, um, but 1%, that's like one out of every 100. So like, that's not... Still, it's not that... It's not that rare. And like when you... Actually, I think when I went to the hospital with my daughter, there was like a woman beside me who had it. And and I actually, I know lots, like not lots, but like in the social media world, every time I post anything about it, I have like 20 comments that are like, oh, I had that too, and stuff like that. So, so what does it mean? Um, basically, it means that your liver doesn't process the bile acid the way... <laughs> Hello, sweetie. Hello, Luna. She wants to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't process the bile acid in the blood properly. So it builds up, and that becomes toxic for baby. And it can cause stillbirth that's most common thing that it causes between 37 like 37 weeks onwards is where you're at a high high risk i think if untreated there's like a 15 percent risk of stillbirth something crazy hello <laughs> and uh so that was at the forefront of my mind and i went and you told your doctor 
yeah, I went straight into the hospital the next day and was like, I'm not leaving till this baby comes out because I was 37 weeks and I knew the risks. And of course, it's like they can't just do that. They, they have can't to have just a reason. say, okay, yeah. yeah they have to, although, um, actually, because I had uh, Landon and because he had died, I had a huge advantage because they did take me seriously. And um, I... So that would have been a Wednesday, went to the hospital on the Thursday, and I had a C-section by Saturday at wow. noon. So it was, it was pretty good. Like, they couldn't get in right then, but they were able to squeeze me in. And, um, and it's funny, because leading up to this, I was actually resistant still to having a C-section, because I was so terrified of going through the same pain. And being through that experience again, and reliving that. I thought I was going to bring everything up again, and... Um, it was a very different experience with Lily because, because I knew I wanted her out. I, I didn't want to risk the induction and trying for a V-back because it would have taken a lot longer and I didn't have the time. So I didn't, I knew like in my heart, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't, um, because I thought she was going to stop moving. And then the night, the, the night before the morning we were supposed to go in for the C-section, I thought she stopped moving and I couldn't feel her move, and so we raced to the hospital, and I was so sure that she had died. And she hadn't. She was just sleeping. But, um, yeah, those, those thoughts, it's hard, yeah. So, yeah, but this test for the, the liver disease is, um, is something that takes some time. So I wouldn't have gotten results. They did the test, but I actually didn't get results till two or three weeks after Lily was born. Wow. And so if I had waited... They wouldn't no. know. And so that's the thing. It's like... And ICP usually shows up a lot earlier. There's time to diagnose it, treat it, and the risk goes way down when you are being properly taken care of and you have like an early delivery. Um, but because it was so late, there was like I was already at that danger point and and I don't know why my symptoms showed up so late. Uh, partly I think it might just be because... Um, one of the ways you can kind of help your ICP is with a really healthy diet and exercise and things like that. So I think maybe because I because like already had that and I yeah. drank tons of water and all these things, maybe the symptoms were minimized. I don't know. But how was mm. the C-section with, mm. with Lily? Was it was it? really, I was awake for it. And um, I was just so, so ready. And so like, so ready to have an actual, like a living child, like just mm. to feel her... To, breathing to it was uh and to be know that she was safe so once she like they pulled me out of her she kind of they kind of pressed her up to my cheek so I knew she was there mm. but then they had to whisk her away because she um wasn't breathing properly which wasn't dangerous it was just that she was a little bit premature so she had to be hooked up to the ventil or like a CPAP machine which helps her breathe and then clears her lungs and then so she got to immediately know that she, she knew she was okay and then Justin was with her and then he would kind of relay back to me that everything was okay and then mm -hmm. I felt calm and to be honest like after losing Landon like waiting like I was okay like I was just uh. like I can wait I know she's safe I know she's alive and I was able to just like take some breaths and it was just when she first came onto my chest it was just like I have a video of it on Instagram and like she looks at me with her eyes and they're just mm. wide and open and she just kind of stares right into me and it's just the best thing ever and she was mm. so chill like I had this feeling like oh no like 
it's gonna be traumatic for her to be like go through a c-section and she was just so it's like she knew she, she knew was what was happening yeah way. yeah she knew what was happening she just yeah. rested on my chest and just you know started nursing like a pro and just yeah I just oh she's so cute <laughs> Do you still get get signs from Landon? Yeah, yeah day, so day many. Day. Like, hmm. well, lilies were a big sign. <laughs> lilies, I had lots of lilies in my garden, and they were blooming. I predicted they would start blooming when he was born, and they were. And then that always kind of reminded me that, you know, he he's not here physically, but there's some parts of him around and present and... Uh, Lily's kind of kept coming back to me uh, through all sorts of really crazy ways that I write about in my book. And um, wild lilies growing in random places, paintings of lilies and like these interesting gifts, bouquets of lilies from people that didn't even know me or at all anything about my story. Um, And... Right, and then all animal like butterflies are another one. Butterflies. I saw a video the yeah. other day of a butterfly that just sat on you for the longest. Yeah, and at the first longest retreat, time. there is like it was crazy. Um, we go b- visit this really sacred site of the petroforms that have been there for like ever, as far as we know, um, or like f- uh, since um, prehistoric time, anyways. And the indige- indigenous people in the area would have built them and. They're extremely sacred, and there's all these like really cool stuff that um, stories and and things that uh, happen there. And one of the things when all of us women visited was that all these butterflies flew in and they were surrounding uh-huh. us. And this man who's like was the keeper of the petroforms, and he was there, or he arrived kind of serendipitously. We didn't know he'd be there, but he started talking to us about it. And he's like, he, he didn't know why we were there. He had no idea we were a group of women who had lost children. And he said, you know, the butterflies are said to be the souls of children who have passed too soon. What? <laughs> I know. We all looked at him and we're just like, what? <laughs> and then at these petroform site too, there was actually um, rocks laid out in the shape of a pregnant woman. And it's uh, like really really kind of intensely powerful space and the story behind it is that it used to be a turtle and the this this man who was the, the keeper the, who stays at the petroforms all the time was there telling us about this he says and about 20 years ago he's telling this story about what happened and he said uh, one day it was in the shape of this pregnant woman and i was like oh those you know, somebody came in and was messing around with the rocks. Like, and this is extremely like taboo. So he's angry about it and he should put it back exactly how it should have been. And then the next day, the same thing happened. And so he put it back. And then the third night, he decided to stay overnight and camp out. And he heard this rattling and this, like, the rocks shaking. And this light, and it, I can't even describe it in the way he describes it, but basically went to look, the flashlight, and saw that it had again transformed into the pregnant woman. And he asked spirit, like, why this had happened and what was going on and, like, like why are you messing with our petroforms? And Because he realized this was something bigger. And um, and he got this, he, he, he spoke, he said spoke with a woman, who told him that um, that she 
had lost, like, and, and if I spoke with women, I mean, like, in a, in a vision or a, a dream, vision. in a dream, that she had lost a child at in, during childbirth, and that that she wanted to this to honor all women who had been through this experience. Oh <laughs> and I was like, what? There's and we were, nothing, we were all just kind nothing. of like standing there, like listening to him talk about this, being like. What? And he didn't know why you no, were there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing is random. And then so that, and then the fact that I had chose to host a retreat there is also like how bizarre, like that, that I knew, I just kind of drove by one day and it just, uh, I just knew it needed to be there. And I'd only been into the area a few times before because there was a hike near there that we did a few times while I was pregnant with Landon. And, um, and then we would pass this beautiful, like it's, it just kind of stands out in the landscape because it's just, you know, there's this gorgeous lake and then this wood it's like a these peaked ceilings and these big windows and it's just all like um like log cabin-esque style and just rustic but very like elegant looking so it really stands out and and I was like what a beautiful space for a yoga retreat because they have this great loft with all these big windows and stuff that overlooks the lake and um and so that I chose it to be there was just really incredible yeah Yeah. and then on the hike we did to the place where I went with Landon there was a lily the an orange lily just like Landon's growing out of a rock like literally in the middle like of this hike no other flowers it's just like in the Canadian shield which is just rock and moss this beautiful orange lily waiting like, for you that? yeah so, so, so was it, it was it was clear early on that yeah. that she would be called lily yes of course yeah I could feel it from the beginning and I actually she's... intuitively predicted I was pregnant before I was pregnant or before I was pregnant before I knew I was pregnant and then I also felt that it was a girl and I don't know like it could have been wrong but it's like I was so sure so mm. she was Lily from the moment she was Lily yeah. from the start <laughs> and she's the happiest little girl oh my goodness oh, it's it's uh yeah. she is just I'm so, so yeah. just looking at you the three of you yeah. I mean it's the most beautiful thing and it really is a, a beacon of hope you know for anybody going through any similar type of pain right now I would really encourage to go look Amelia up and oh thank you, know, you. you on Instagram it really helps Lily uh, does a, wasn't it one of her first serious words she learned was happy yeah so you would post these videos and she just says happy 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 yeah. happy happy be happy, happy and oh. me happy and, and happy happy and oh, yeah she's it's the happiest just, little girl it's I don't know where she got that but it's adorable I want to yeah I want to seal our podcast yes. by reading mm. something from your book so uh, uh this book came my way when I was pregnant and I wasn't able to begin reading it until mm-hmm. after <laughs> after Leiluna yes. was born. She's standing on my lap right now making Ooh. noise with her little favorite plush toy called Lily. Isn't that, <laughs> Isn't that so perfect? Okay, so it's a letter that you wrote. Okay. It's May 7th, and it says, Dear baby, it's already been one whole week since we found out you are here with us. I hope you are enjoying yourself in there. It makes me happy knowing that you get to share the space your brother lived most of his life in. Ever since your brother died, I've been wondering what it might be like to carry his little brother or sister. At first, I felt that I could never love another baby the way I loved your brother. And even the thought of having another baby to heal made me angry. I knew your brother could never be replaced and that there was nothing in the world that could mend together the million pieces of my heart shattered into when I found out he wasn't going to come home with us. 
All I wanted initially was to be Landon's mom. So I decided I would continue to mother Landon just in different ways. I wouldn't be able to nurse him, but I could donate my milk. I wouldn't be able to do yoga with him, but I could host a yoga retreat for moms who lost babies. I wouldn't be able to watch him grow up, but I could tell his story and see him have a bigger impact than he could have if he had lived 100 years. And I will keep on being his mother for as long as I live. But I also knew that once your brother got a bit older, a bit more independent, I would be ready to give him a little sister or brother. This still scared me though, because what if something went wrong? Could I survive losing another baby? Even though daddy and I were trying to make you for a while, I intuitively knew that you wouldn't arrive until my heart was ready. I needed to get to a place in my healing where I felt I was strong enough to handle anything and where I could love and trust myself again. And I think you knew that too. I know I'll still have my bad days, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Landon's legacy has only a positive impact in your life. I want you to be able to feel all of my joy and all my excitement. I want you to come into this world surrounded by love and not fear. I know I thought I could never love another baby as much as I did Landon, but I was wrong, so wrong. I've just grown another heart so I can love you both equally. Forever and ever. (laughs) (laughs) That last sentence. I've just grown another heart so I can love you both equally. That will stay with me forever. (laughs) Thank you so much for for coming on the show and for... Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me and just for being this inspiration and a light for all of us. So it's been such a journey, but here we are together again. Together again. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love you. Love you too. (laughs) Anyone who's listening, I know uh, you have uh, another retreat coming up in September with a few spots open. So if anyone feels called, you can visit uh, landonslegacyretreat.com. Or just send me a message. I'm, you know, on Instagram or you can follow yeah, Amelia under Amelia K Yoga. <laughs> She's neat. <laughs> Amelia K Yoga. Yoga. Yeah. Thank you, love. Thank you. I am so grateful for this episode and the story that Amelia has shared with the world. Thinking back to every podcast episode so far, we have seen stories on yoga, on following your passion, on guilt, vulnerability, relationships with our bodies, our breath and the world. But whatever we're speaking about each week, we always circle back to that courageous, infinite love that we all hold in our hearts. Once again, I'd like to thank my sponsors for supporting this very special episode. One of these sponsors is NatureBox. We all want to eat in a way that makes our bodies feel good. But when it comes to snacking, sometimes it feels like the whole world is delicious and has a billion calories versus boring and tasteless. It doesn't have to be that way. Healthy meets delicious with NatureBox. NatureBox has over 100 snacks that taste good and that are good for you. All snacks are made from high quality, simple ingredients, which means no artificial coloring, flavors, or sweeteners. So you can feel good about what you're eating. My favorites are the mocha almond bar and the white cheddar caramel popcorn. The mocha almond bar is the perfect afternoon pick-me-up and the white cheddar caramel popcorn gives my writing a really delicious boost. 
You're sure to find your new snack obsession at NatureBox. They add new snacks every single month inspired by real consumer feedback, the latest food trends, and professional chefs. It's super simple. Just go to naturebox.com, choose the snacks that you want, and NatureBox will deliver them right to your door. And there's no risk. If you try a snack and you don't like it, just don't eat it. NatureBox will replace it for free. Right now, you'll save even more. NatureBox is offering from the heart listeners three free snacks with your first order when you go to naturebox.com slash yoga girl. That's naturebox.com slash yoga girl for three free snacks with your very first order. Naturebox.com slash yoga girl. Also, a huge thank you to Parachute for supporting this episode. Sleep is everything, not just for a growing baby, but for her mom and dad as well. Our little baby girl now has a bedding that's just as soft and cozy as our own, thanks to Parachute and their new beautiful line of baby bedding. There's nothing more precious than our sleeping daughter, and there's nothing softer than the bedding that she's on. At night, we share the same bed, and I can rest easy knowing during her daily naps when she's in her own crib, her bedding is 100% natural and made completely without any harm for chemicals or synthetic softeners. Plus, it's beautiful. Creating positive impact with everything I do and also with what I buy is really important to me. Knowing that Parachute's products are designed in Venice Beach, California, and responsibly manufactured in Europe by fairly paid employees is a huge point for me. Parachute also donates thousands of life-saving bed nets to communities in critical need with the United Nations Foundation Nothing But Nets. Go check it out. Visit parachutehome.com slash yoga girl for free shipping and returns. No need to worry about what happens to your return bedding. All returns are donated straight to Habitat for Humanity. Create a beautiful bedroom space for your entire family with Parachute and help others around the world sleep sweetly as well. Visit parachutehome.com slash yoga girl for free shipping and returns. You have 60 days or should I say 60 nights to fall in love or you can send it right back. No questions asked. Go to parachutehome.com slash yoga girl today. Thank you to my beautiful and inspiring guest, Amelia Barnes. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of these on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Huge thank you to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, thank you to my sponsors, especially for supporting this uninterrupted interview this week. TransferWise, Parachute, NatureBox, and ZipRecruiter. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I will see you next week.